Whoa, I forgot to hide everybody first. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Canna Book Club. Biotic stress caused by Tetranchus Yurtikai. That's right. I slaughtered that name like that. Mites elevates the quantity of secondary metabolites. That's right. Mites elevating the quantity of secondary metabolites, cannabinoids, and terpenes in Cannabis Sativa L. We have a weird one for you, folks. Not gonna lie. This one is a little bit strange. As you all know, Cannabook Club peoples, here we are. Good to see you all this week again. Casey, without further ado, let's do it. Hey guys, welcome to episode, ooh, what episode is this, 33, 32, welcome to episode 32 everyone. Um, we've got kind of a more chill paper today, um, this paper was published this year though um, in Industrial Crops and Products. And it was written by Elizabeth Costanda and Solomon Khatib out of the Galilee Research Institute in Kiryat Shmona in Israel. Um, seems to be sort of more of a like a, maybe a grad student project. Um, very simple, but you know, gives us some interesting answers to things. But I'm going to go ahead and introduce the paper with the abstract. Uh, secondary metabolites are known to play a role in the plant's defense system, which can be triggered by biotic or abiotic stress. Cannabis plants, and mainly their female flowers, have a variety of bioactive metabolites, predominantly cannabinoids and terpenes, which are synthesized and secreted by the trichomes. Many studies have examined their chemistry and bioactive effects. However, there is insufficient information on the effect of biotic stresses on the presence of secondary metabolites in cannabis. This present study examined the effects of a well-known cannabis pest, Tetranicus urticae, on the occurrence and concentration of cannabinoids and terpenes in cannabis leaves and flowers. Six cannabis plants were infested with T. urticae mites, so that's the treatment group, and six plants were used as the control group. Cannab cannabinoids and terpenes were analyzed and quantified by liquid chromatography mass, spectrum mass spectrometer and gas chrom chromatograph spec bleh, mass spectrometer. Sorry, respectively. The contents of several cannabinoids and terpenes increased significantly in the leaves of the treatment group of plants in their late vegetative phase as the mite population increased compared with the control group significantly increased content of almost all terpenes and the cannabinoids delta 9 thc cbc and cbg was also seen in mature flowers of the treatment group plants compared to the control thus cannabis plant infestation has an impact on its secondary metabolites cannabinoids and terpenes reflected by an overall increase in these compounds so we're going to give you a little breakdown of the rest of this paper starting with the intro i'll take it away molly Thank you. Uh, yeah, so again, <laughs> we know a lot of this, uh, you know, very basic stuff about cannabis. Um, obviously, we know about the medicinal benefits and the interest in the cultivation because of that. Um, another interesting thing that they mention uh, here is that cannabinoids also play a role in the 
plant's defense against pathogens. Um, and so they're known to be efficient against insects, fun- fungi, viruses, and bacteria. Um, the other thing is that um, terpene structure and classifications um, is based on linking of numerous isoprene units. Uh, so the compounds are responsible for the aroma of the plant. And uh, that, along other things, um, has a role in the defense system of the plant, which will be um, helping it in the defense against insects, fungi, and bacteria. Um, in addition to that, oily content of the trichomes makes them sticky, which can create a trap for insects. Um, the repellent properties of terpenes and insecticidal properties of cannabinoid acids combine um, together to be a pretty strong weapon, they say, um, against anthropod pests. Uh, and due to the aroma, terpenes are widely used in the perfume and food industries and are well tolerated by humans. Um, so we all know that. Um, many terpenes uh, exhibit medicinal potential and uh, they're believed to um, contribute to the immunological and neurological effects of cannabinoids. And uh, in fact, like they mentioned, that there is a possible interaction between um, cannabinoids and terpenes um, and appropriate selection of those compounds can have a, a pretty significant medicinal impact um, in antibacterial and psychopharmacological applications. Um, and so even though cannabis produces and secretes efficient um you know, like antipathogenic um, factors like cannabinoids and terpenes, it's still known to be affected by several pests that can destroy the yields. Uh, most of them are those anthropod uh, in the classes of Insecta, Crustacea, and Arachnida, um, mostly mites, and uh, other pets like rodents, birds, and uh, mollusks like slugs and snails can also be harmful for the outdoor crops. Um, so the most abundant pests Worldwide, and also in Israel, uh, where the study was taking place, the spider mites, whiteflies, thrips, and uh, botrytis, which is the fungus that uh, creates bud mold. Um, the well-known pests that we're going to be talking about, the two spotted spider mite, has a pretty destructive effect on various crops. Um, cannabis is one of them. It inhabits and feeds on the underneath of the leaf surface, causing the appearance of small white and yellow spots on the upper side of it. Uh, most of the leaf parts will turn yellow eventually as the feeding continues because when the spider mite leaches on the leaf, they essentially suck out the chlorophyll. Um, so they're reducing the net photosynthetic rate of plant, um, which can create a lot of the damage for the plant and can create uh, some water loss as well. Other thing I think that they don't mention here is that spider mites also produce a lot of webbing and that part also is kind of hard to get rid of. Um, so even like they mentioned here, like leaves fall off and photosynthetic rate is going down. You know, yeah, you, you can still sort of, I guess, save your yield, but because that webbing is so prominent, um, I think that's something that should be mentioned in this intro as well, but hasn't been mentioned. Um, in general, obviously, environmental conditions, um, including different stresses, known to affect secondary metabolism in the plants. Um, so numerous studies have shown that terpenes are affected by those uh, stresses and environmental factors like drought, temperature fluctuations, and the pathogen attack or infestation, uh, which will rearrange the biosynthesis and emission of the terpenes. Um, the effect of abiotic changes on cannabinoids and terpenes um, 
was relatively studied, but the effect of biotic stress um, was not studied yet. So the present study aimed to examine the effect of uh, two spotted spider mines um, on the composition and quantity of cannabinoids and terpenes in cannabis leaves and flowers. So you can take it away, Corey. Sweet deal. Um, I got a little troubled. I'm not going to lie. When I looked at the paper right before I got to go to my materials and methods and my friend Bernstein over there is referenced again. Ah, oh, Bernstein. We just, we just can't get rid of you. I, I adore you. I'm kidding. I'm sure you're a wonderful scientist, but can you please just mix the fertilizer properly? I just want that to happen once, please. Can you do that? Uh, I digress from the situation. So, the one thing that I want to point out in the materials and methods for the growth of these cannabis plants is, again, we have a vegetative light cycle here of 16 hours. I don't like that. It's 18 hours. 18 hours is the appropriate time for vegetative. It's either 24 or 18. The 16 thing, I'm not a fan of. So, I just want to point that one out. I think we've already talked about the other things where, you know, we don't really have too many plants uh, rocking and rolling this one. We got the one uh, strain, not genotype, Dr. Anna, uh, RCK23. Uh, so we have only one here, which is also a little bit frustrating. Uh, the two-spotted spider mite is, yes, as Molly said, extremely frustrating. So it's interesting to kind of see, um, you know, what they did with, uh, with the particular two-spotted spider mite here. Uh, everything seems pretty normal. I mean, they definitely hit 80% Celsius, which they like to do. And uh, yeah, I, I like this part of the, um, the experiment in general. Um, the other issue that we have with our materials and methods, uh, again, is just the lack of plants also at the end of it and just the you know lack of time that they kind of carried it through. So they do talk about here about the treatment group were treated with uh, things at a late vegetative stave alleged late vegetative stage and to prevent the remaining plants from dying prior to flower collection so they were clearly having a struggle uh trying to keep these things alive during the experiment so i really want to want to kind of point a couple of those factors out in that way because yeah i think that you can get a, a few different interesting results if you were to definitely even just replicate exactly how they did their growing methodology here in this experiment you could easily come out with a few different results i feel um you know personally uh just seeing that so with the light cycle again as well uh is just something that um yeah wanted to point out uh the big problem with the materials and methods uh in this one as well unfortunately is that there's a lot of uh, talk about Dr. Anna's favorite topic, which is statistical analysis. So we're obviously going to skip through that. But I did want to point out that they did uh, do something interesting here, I find, with the terpenes uh, and making sure that they had um, an actual um, comparison. So they do have uh, purchased terpenes um, from the market. So, uh, you know, standards, as we call them, so that they know kind of what that profile is. So, um, you know, carry off a carry off a filing. Guayol uh, are the two that I'm particularly interested in because that the one with the G guayol. I'm terrible at saying that one. I know that that one is extracted from the cannabis plant in response to 
pests. So it's very interesting to see that they specifically uh, chose that one out. And then there was two uh, single terpenes that they also pulled out that were separate from this. Uh, and I can't find... I don't have my highlighted version um, that's in front of me here. But there was two... Oh my goodness. There's two other ones here. Does anybody remember reading that part where there was two separate ones from the five? This page is bugging me here. Mm. I mean, guayal, humulene, and caryophyllene were the top three. Yeah, and then it says somewhere. <sighs> and valentine and oxamine and myrcene. I thought I read somewhere that yeah. they also it says had... It right, right. Like, the third line down, and five single terpene standards were... Yeah, well. a, oh, an additional five. Well. That's what it was. And oxamine. Yeah, okay. And then uh, mercine. So it's... Uh, this paper is really pissing me off with this. I don't know why it's doing this. Um, analytical standards. Yeah, five plus two. Fuck it. I'm just going to have to cut that out. That sucks. It's killing me, Smalls. You're killing me. Nope, that won't even work properly. There we go. Okay. Perfect. Um, Grilly all through. Um, yeah, okay. So... Yeah, I'm just interested to see that they did the comparison with the guillol and the carophyllophyllene because those are two of the main ones that I see. And again, you know, that guillol is the one that is excreted from the cannabis plant, um, you know, as a reaction to natural bugs. So it's always been, uh, I always point this one out because it's always pitched as like the exotic terpene uh, in some cultivars that are coming through the market. And uh, yeah, just a heads up, everybody, uh, that terpene, you know, we don't really know a lot about that terpene as it shows up. And right now it just shows up in random, you know, seemingly batches. So, um, yeah, that's also something that I want to point out um, within this is kind of, you know, we have our normal ones, but definitely that one in particular uh, is something that caught my eye. Other than that, like I said, none of the plant things really drive me uh, up the wall too much. Just again, the lack of kind of, you know, having a comparison strain or cultivar would be really, really nice. A few more plants, of course. And then, yeah, like I definitely understand uh, how difficult it is to watch these plants go through suffering from the two-spotted spider mite. But uh, yeah, I think that you can, you know, probably do a little bit better trying to keep them last a little bit longer. I guess is kind of what I want to say. Yeah, I was just, I'm a, I'm a little bit disappointed again. You know, like we were mentioning kind of in our little pregame huddle there, I wish that the plants would have lasted um, a little bit longer. So, um, yeah, I think that's really it for me, unless there's anything else that uh, if anybody wanted to bring on with me from the materials and methods, especially with statistical analysis, because I'm really, really good at that. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to mention, because um, they said, so... Can you touch on the um, spraying with the acaricide? Like they did it, the first three um, sampling, right? Samplings. And then like the ninth time, so they wouldn't die or something. Is that, am I remember? I feel like they mentioned that a lot. <laughs> so I feel like they used initially on the control so that the infestation wouldn't transfer over 
to the mm-hmm. control plants. But then I think they also did another application because the mites were getting out of control. They did another application. Yeah, um, this acaricide is pretty intense too. There's no way in hell we'd be allowed to use it over here, probably in either oh, like shoot. all of North America, to be honest with you. It's an insect growth regulation. Um, and yeah, like the concentration on this thing is pretty gnarly. It's like five and a half percent. So uh, Yeah, but they're not whoop. growing these plants to consume. They're growing them to see what bugs do to the plant. So Oh yeah. Yeah, no, I know. Just in case anybody got any ideas, right? You know, there are definitely yeah. some people, you know, like we had that study with Luna. You know, I brought that up at work and like, you know, of course we like never use it, but they, you know, especially the tomato times guys they were like, yeah, like that stuff's awesome. Like it, <laughs> it kills everything, but we can't <laughs> use it here. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really interesting to me, uh, in that regard. Uh, but yeah, there's nothing really, uh, on that one we'd be allowed to, yeah, yeah I wouldn't recommend using that at all, uh, to say the least, but yeah, it's just a really strong pesticide, uh, the end to be honest with you like that it's going straight for it it's it's not only penetrating like the it's going straight into the eggs like it's it's trying to attack the problem like for us we use uh, a lot of beneficials in a lot of these settings like i love lace wings uh green and brown lace wings just woo they're a lot of fun but yeah that you know yeah pesticides get a little tricky for sure so yeah yeah questionable also, I I just I kept getting grossing myself out um, this whole time because I was googling pictures of mites like macro and it's so disgusting. I hate it. And Two I'm like, spotted I studied biology. Spider mites <laughs> I'm are so grossed out. They they are absolutely disgusting, and the webbing that just it it encapsulates your plant within forty eight to seventy two hours. Like Jeez. these things do not fuck around. Once they're there, yeah. it is it's fucking war. <laughs> it's all out war. So yeah, I absolutely respect anybody who has seen these in their garden and lived to see the other side. <laughs> because yeah, they are extremely difficult to control. They procreate like unbelievable rates. Um, yeah, you have to be aggressive with your treatments for it. And that's why it's really uh, difficult to control at the large scale. There are just flat out some products that worked really, really good in our smaller kind of environments where you absolutely cannot use them at the large scale. Uh, and, you know, probably for good reason, might I add. But, yeah, it definitely compounds the problem. So I don't blame them for trying to, you know, use this as uh, part of the experiment just to make sure that they keep it down you know you can't throw beneficials and then wait a few weeks for them to eat everything and take care of the situation so you have to kind of attack it and make sure your uh, the integrity of your experiment is intact so yeah cool well let's jump into these very simple results uh, so first we're going to look at the effect of mites on the leaf chlorophyll content so they're as they're giving a quantity to the mites um, that uh, parameter is called cumulative mite days or CMD. Um, it's basically the average number of mites per leaf. Um, and you can check out the scatter plot on figure one. Kind of has an interesting um, 
pattern. It's kind of like the amounts of mites on the, or actually, no, that's the concentration of chlorophyll. So the concentrated chlorophyll like bounces back and forth between the uh, control and treatment, but ultimately at the end, um, the infested plants had less chlorophyll. And then figure two <clears throat> on the right side of that um, plots the chlorophyll concentration and the mite infestation in the treated plants. Um, and you can see there's like a, uh, a significant correlation. So the amount of mites is having a big effect on the chlorophyll content. And then moving on to the effect of mites on leaf cannabinoid content. Uh, the cannabinoids in the leaves uh, were examined and they did 14 cannabinoids, but there we're looking at eight of them uh, on figure three. So definitely if you have an interest in a certain cannabinoid, check out the paper. But um, basically some cannabinoids increased significantly around the seventh and eighth sampling time, including CBG, THC, CBD, and CBC. Uh, the effect of mites on the leaf terpene content, they analyzed 39 terpenes. Uh, they said bergamot bergamotine's content was uh, significantly increased 114% at the eighth sampling time. Uh, Farnesine showed significant increase by 81% at the seventh sampling time. And then beta caryophyllene, humulene, and guaiol had significant increases at the ninth sampling time. But they mentioned that um, the sampling was performed after the caricide application to the treatment group plants. So that who knows what that has done to that result. But um, yeah, lots of significant increases in terpenes in the leaves. So, and then moving on to the effect of the mites on the cannabinoids in the flowers, the flowers and in the treatment and the control groups uh, were collected in the late reproductive phase, seven weeks after the caricide uh, application in the treatment group plants. Um, so they found that CBG, CBC, and Delta-9 THC significantly increased by 26, 41, and 52%. The CBCA was the only cannabinoid significantly higher in the control group, 15%. And then moving on to the terpene content in the flowers, uh, all the terpenes were higher in the treatment group compared with the control group, and you can check that out in figure six. Uh, the most abundant monoterpene in the flowers was myrcene, and the most abundant sesquiterpene was beta-caryophyllene. And on the last page there, or of the results there, they did a heat map. So we're looking at the distribution of metabolites in flowers of the treatment versus control group. So in the heat map on the left side, uh, so the red there, that represents an increase in compound quantity, and it's dominated in the flowers of the treatment group compared with the flowers of the control group. And then on the right side, that's just showing that there were two components of all of the components with a high variability compared to the, other, the rest of the group, so they were extracted from the data. And those are the results, folks. Let's get on to the discussion, starting with Dr. Anna, and then we'll come all together. Hi, hello. 
I'm not muted anymore. Um, okay, so in the first part of the discussion, they just talk about how damage from the mites causes a decrease in chlorophyll in the leaves, which is to be expected, as Molly mentioned in her little intro, that these mites suck the chlorophyll out of the leaves, so it makes sense that there would be less chlorophyll. Um, and then in the next portion, they talk about um, t- assessing the impact of the mite infestation on cannabinoid content. Um, leaves are collected throughout the experiment. Um, there was an increase in, in quantities um, in the leaves in both groups. Um, but the increase in the treatment group was more noticeable. And um, basically, um, cannabis or cannabinoids increase potentially as a form of defense, or at least that's what they're saying. Although in this experiment, they didn't really grow out the plants long enough to see if the increase in cannabinoids led to the a decrease in the infestation. So we didn't really get an answer to that. We just know that the cannabinoids increased, as did the terpenes, right? So that was unfortunate that they didn't um, didn't or weren't able to. Maybe, maybe the plants died. Um, and the plant's defenses are not uh, very effective. Um, but we, we didn't get an answer to that. Um, and then they talk about how time was the major, when they, when they did some of the statistical analysis with the ANOVA, the um, analysis of variation, um, that the time, the effect of time was significant for all analyzed cannabinoids and terpenes. The treatment was found significant for THCA and the interaction between time and treatments was significant for CBNA. Um, And the effect of treatment was also found to be significant for all six analyzed terpenes. So basically what they're saying there is that time affects metabolites. Duh. Like we already know that, that metabolites increase as time goes on and the the plant matures. So I don't know why that was um, necessary to do, but they did it anyway. Um, and then the next portion under the really fancy heat map, they talk about um, flower in the flower, the increase in cannabinoids and increase in turfs with mites, except for CBC. So um, th- that's kind of to be expected if it's going to increase in the leaves. It also makes sense that it would increase in the flowers. Um, and then in the heat map, uh, you can see if you kind of visually draw a line so that up the top they have a green bar and, and a red bar, the green is the control group, the red bar is the treatment group, and you can see there's a lot more blue indicating no, no, no real change or a decrease in the metabolite. Uh, so the, they've got the, the cannabinoids and terpenes listed down the side. And then on the, under the red bar, the, that's the treatment group. So that's, those are the plants that are responding to the mites. And you can see that there's lots of red indicating an increase in the metabolite. So that's a pretty nice visual of what's going on there. And then the PCOA, we almost, we see one of these in just about every paper we read. So this is just looking at the variation in the data. You can think again of this as like a cloud of data. It's not just a flat, you know, X and Y graph. It's a cloud and it separates the data out by variation. And so the first axis has the most variation in the data. 
The second axis has the second to most variation in the data. So these two axes alone account for 98.6% of the variation in the data, which is incredibly high. I don't think I've ever seen a PCOI with, um, with, with <clears throat> that high of um, consideration of the, the variation in the data represented. Um, and so all, all of the control group or all of the control samples cluster together, all of the treatment samples cluster together, uh, indicating that those two things, um, the, the treatment and the control are, I don't even know how to explain it, but that, that's what, <laughs> that the treatment was very effective um, in what they were measuring. So then in the conclusions, of course, the last statement in the conclusion is executing another analogous study with the bigger sample size to bigger sample size to avoid as much as much as possible with the statistical limitations is also recommended. So again, they're suggesting that uh, as they always do in these papers, that more study is needed. Um, of mention is that this is only one strain. They only had six plants in each group. So six plants in the treatment group, six groups in the control or six plants in the control group. That's a really small sample size. Um, and you know, they're, they're big, the big purpose of this is to test abiotic stress. We've read a lot of papers about abiotic stresses, so drought stress, heat stress, light stress, you know, those kinds of things. But this is an actual, like, uh, living thing that is supposed to be stressing the plant out. Um, and they wanted to know what the impact of that was on secondary metabolites. Um, <clears throat> and they successfully measured all the, all the analyzed metabolites in both the treated and the control plants. There was an increase in cannabinoid and terpene quantities in the leaves and the flowers due to the presence of the pest, um, yeah, which aligned with the plants, uh, the growth of the, the number of mites and the cumulative mite days and the decrease in chlorophyll content. Um, overall results, so this is their big ta-da, the overall results reveal that cannabis plants do react to biotic stress caused by these mites in terms of amounts of cannabinoids and terpenes in their leaves and flowers. More research is needed um, in terms of the effects of abiotic and biotic stresses on the content of the metabolites uh, to better understand the plant's defense mechanisms. So this is the question that I don't think got answered. Yes, it has an, an effect and the plant did respond to the infestation, but whether that response is effective or not, we don't know from this um, study. And I was really wondering, why didn't they take morphometric data? Like, why didn't they weigh the, the flowers? Why didn't they weigh the plants? Why didn't they take height data? Why didn't they take, you know, just coloration in the leaves? Like, we know they were losing chlorophyll because they measured that, but, like, you know, they didn't even count, like, holes or or... Um, it was just really interesting to me because I feel like if the plant is really suffering, it's not going to thrive, right? So there's going to be a big difference in how um, the plant grows. So that increase, um, that increase that they're seeing in those metabolites is that I don't know. Could it be that um, the plant seemed to have more metabolites because it wasn't as big, even though it was more at the same maturity, and so they're it looked like there was an increase in metabolites by dry weight, but really, like, do you get what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if that makes sense. Casey, do you know what I'm saying? 
What do you mean they half-assed the experiment? They didn't do enough work? I mean, we didn't even get pictures of the damage of things. And that's what I really (laughs) want to, you know? like Because it really is an incredible... It is an. You need to understand and see how quickly and the damage and how it just morphs into this cluster. You know what? Because especially as a grower, like you will misread the damage on leaves sometimes because it does look like thrip damage, for example. And then boom, all of a sudden you got thousands of mites in your plant, and you're done. They didn't even do like a like. I don't. I don't know. Maybe it was in supplemental data. I hardly ever go to that. But did they do like a mite count, like a density count of mites? Like when they sampled, Wasn't, I don't know. I just feel would like that be the CMD, the cumulative mite days? No, that's just. That's just like an I mean, average. Just, like how many days has the, have the mites been on? So one day, two days. Oh, two days, yeah. But I, d- right. I didn't even see like a, a, a count. No count. I just feel like yeah, like infestation so rate. Or something like that would be nice. Yeah. Like, was it exponential? Is it, like, just linear? And how, you know, is the plant's response, like, exactly in line with the mite, um, the number of mites that are I'd probably, I'd probably take a leaf, (laughs) yeah, I'd probably take a leaf sample, maybe, like, split it up between regions of plant if you really wanted to get crazy with it, but I would just take leaf samples off each plant and then count try and count how many mites are on that leaf through a scope yeah um yeah they could do yeah. a density count of of the actual bugs on a leaf they could also yeah. do a density count of the hole punctures in the leaves potentially i don't know like i, I think they could have taken some more because i don't feel like I, I don't feel like the question was adequately um answered and yeah. if they don't have morphometric data uh, such as biomass to compare, like, was there, you know, growth differences? Because if, if all is fair and even if they grew the same height and mass and everything like that, then you could say that, yes, there's a difference in the cannabinoids and terpenes. If your mite plants are much smaller than your healthy plants, like, now you're not comparing apples to oranges. You're comparing two different things. And they didn't give us, like, the percent... I, I don't know. Like, I just feel like... So can I... I want to unpack it a little bit one step backwards. So for me as a grower, and, you know, like I ask my colleagues, you know, I tell them, you know, guess what paper we're doing today at Canada Book Club? Like, why would you even do an experiment like this? Why would you infest your plants with an uncontrollable pest? And, like, like what what... Because, you know, we've we've been down this road before about, you know, oh, well, they've done this study so that people can, like, replicate it or, like, make changes. And that's kind of like the foundational one. I didn't really get, like, I don't know what this is the foundation for. I don't know how to springboard off this research. I mean, like, sure, I could put, you know, 200 plants instead of six. Like, I know they're going to get fucked up. So like that, that's a foregone conclusion. But like, what what could possibly like what what does this research do for the cannabis industry in that way? Like, how I mean, can I we? Feel, I feel like okay. So this is not an industrial application. Of, this is not an applicable science um, experiment. Like this doesn't bring anything good to any grower out there. Because yeah, okay, you want to increase your cannabinoids and terpenes. Obviously, this is not the way to do it. I think. This is trying to get at answering the question, 
why does can why does cannabis produce all these cannabinoids and terpenes? And it's never really been answered. Like, is it is it because um, it's a protectant for the plant? Is it to combat pesticides? Um, is it sunscreen? Is it um, is it because you know coevolution with humans and other animals that have an endocannabinoid system? Like, just it just really has never been answered. But I feel like maybe that's what they were trying to get at, but they didn't they didn't frame it very well because it's not applicable in the industry and no one's going to do this. And it doesn't answer the question because it doesn't tell us if the plant's defense that we think terpenes and and cannabinoids are produced for, potentially, they didn't even answer that question. We just know that there wasn't... And even then, like with the difference potentially in the sizes of the plants, the increase in cannabinoids and terpenes, is it real or is that just an artifact of the different sizes of the plants and the maturity, you know, because we know that those things increase over time. If you've got a smaller plant, um, you know, it's going to be more saturated with those those metabolites. I, I don't know the answer to that, but I... Well, feel like one thing like that I, I kind of think of is like maybe <laughs> yeah I mean so one kind of valuable thing maybe could be like we see like which specific terpenes were significantly increased so maybe from that maybe yeah we're not like trying to figure out something with cannabis alone but maybe because mm. they actually do make bio pesticides out of like terpenes like while so maybe this is just kind of helping us to see which terpenes might be the most useful but at the same time we don't know like what happened to the mites really so we just know what happened to the terpenes mm-hmm. yeah and we can't really spray um cannabinoids onto a cannabis plant because they're kind of it's kind of toxic to them. So that's not even a good, you know, like suggestion for, okay, maybe we can use their own defenses, you know, as a prophylactic or something for, for pests, because if you're going to spray, now you're spraying something that's toxic to them. And it's like, well, now you just killed your cannabis plant. Cause. Maybe it's just a silver lining. It's like, Oh, you got an infestation. At least your cannabis, uh, cannabinoid and turbine content will go up. <laughs> what does the flower look like? <laughs> yeah, true. Uh-huh. But also maybe this is when like they should have supplied pictures of flower to be like, okay, well, because they're covered in trichomes, let's say there is no spider mites in the buds because the trichomes are repellent and we don't see such a high concentration of them in the areas where there is a heavy you presence even of do a trichomes. <laughs> yeah. you know i just stepping game up is real if this i mean if this is a grad student bless their little hearts um you know this is a lot of work for for a person to do it's not like it's a in, team of scientists in it or a and girl it was like all, with, you know, and this was all done like during the pandemic <laughs> this like last year and a half well, it could have been done before that, and they just got to writing it up during the pandemic with their extra time. <laughs> true, true. I, don't know. I, don't I, know. Mean, I feel like this is, this is like um, 
one of those books that like leaves you hanging and you're like, but what happened? What? what? <laughs> ah, we're waiting for a part two. <laughs> but maybe given how frequently like it's an issue at the facilities, um, maybe sort of that's why they're trying to figure out if there's any correlation so that maybe I don't know. They won't spend as much money on pest management <laughs> to keep the infestation I, I, I and get like, higher content. I you feel know? like if the cannabis plant truly was effective and it's up, you know, it's cranking out those terpenes and cannabinoids, it would do just fine repelling spider mites, but it doesn't. Yeah. And we know that because otherwise it wouldn't be an issue and it is. So well, I feel what like if cannabis these mites not good. evolved to be resistant to those terpenes over time. So that's why they just don't care anymore because they're resistant to those terpenes anyway. So maybe we're just dealing with like a tenth thousands population of spider mice that have dealt with cannabis before and they're like just maybe immune. all of our maybe all of our all of our coddling and selection and keeping everything so clean and, and, and pristine mm-hmm. has actually mm-hmm. caused like a super bug that now doesn't <gasps> respond to anything. But it's literally a bug. Oh, maybe not literally, but figuratively. Because our mites bugs know they're arachnids or spiders. To me, they're bugs. They're, they're creepy crawlers. Bugs. Yeah, bugs for sure. Conspiracy. Um, it's all a conspiracy. With the, if I were to replicate this experiment, I think that one, the other thing is I just kind of want to know, like, spacing-wise, you know, like, density of plants is one thing for me. Um, Because that'll, like, definitely uh, speed up infestations, to say the least. Um, And then secondarily, I would like to see, because obviously we're going to do a few hundred plants instead of this three, six plant, nine, whatever. Um, I'd like to see the mites thrown at the plants at different intervals and then have the testing done for those plants. And maybe you can kind of see, like, when these you know actions are happening mm-hmm. i don't know i think it'd be kind of cool to see what a plant does in like week five week six of flower versus like week one or two when it's just getting that foundational bud set uh, you know obviously it's probably going to deteriorate pretty badly but it would just be interesting to see that and what that profile is versus getting attacked like at like week five like week right. seven you know etc cetera, etc cetera. that i'd be interested to see yeah. um one thing that kind of looked really crazy to me was the on that figure six with the terpenes was that there was like three to four milligrams per gram of mercy that just seems like so much but then i also like read more into it and mercy kind of like a very dominant terpene I'm of pretty cannabis sure that's, that's all but that just seems like so much like compared to all the other terpenes like they even had to break the graph and like <laughs> extend it because the others were only like 0.15 0.1 and then mercine's like three to four milligrams per gram it's crazy from what i know i feel like there's a lot of mercine dominant cultivar strains whatever the hell you want to call them out there Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i mean in this case kind of genotype yeah uh yeah i think that they've just that's the dominant that's what they got over there you know they're not yeah. they're not fortunate enough to get as much california 11 as other places <laughs> uh as maybe you know and that's why i think this study is so interesting and why i said uh, you know at the top of it i think that if you 
did this study a couple of different times, just even with their own, you know, interesting parameters. Love to see the results on those things. I don't think yeah. they're going to get the same results three times in a row. I don't, I don't think so. And again, like, I think another iteration of this study is, like, I'd throw biologicals at this thing, uh, like Chrysopa, you know. Um, and when I do that, I want to know, like, the reaction of what's happening to them as well. You know, for example, when you're spraying the pesticide. You know, obviously, they're going to die, but I'd be interested to know how quickly they're dying. Like, is there a residual on the plant that, though then you've like inhibited your biological uh, response to the, the fight. Cause I know a lot of people also don't think about that. Like when you throw something at the plant, it's also going to affect the biological bugs that you have there and the bad ones. It's just not like, Oh, Hey, that's a good bug. I'm not going to go kill you and then move on to the bad one. You know, it takes out everything with one clean swipe. So yeah, that's something that I guess kind of, yeah, want to riff on a little bit. I just want people to understand that, you know, when you're throwing to control something, if you do use biologicals, you're also getting rid of those too. So, you know, just be careful about that. So don't waste your money on biologicals and pesticides because pick one. I mean, like, you, you know, have have pesticides in a nice locked cabinet properly labeled. Hopefully you took your pesticides applicator license and you know how to do things. Uh, but, like... You know, that's your that's your nuclear bomb cabinet, you know. If you need to pull the nuclear option, I mean, that that is there. On the other side of it, like, I've seen people who are organically certified on large scale who have gone to, like, shop vac and plants to make sure that that two-spotted two spider mite asshole stays off and they don't use <laughs> pesticides. Yeah, not even... Not, wish I wish... I was making that up, but like, like it. you know, that's what people we, will do. You want to hear? So I was talking to my boss the other day. He just bought, oh my God, I think it was 2000. I want to, it was thousands of, um, praying mantis eggs that Ooh. are hatching. Uh, they're going to release them all around the outside of our property. No, they're not going, they're not going inside. Well, because we, we, our greenhouses are in a forest and they're not uh, right. So <laughs> no, I think it's cool. And he's going to put like, he's going to sprinkle like nematodes all around the outside of like the greenhouses. And we will have, we, we always have ladybugs and lace wings inside. Um, but yeah, and we'll have some, we'll have some, we'll have, <laughs> we'll have some praying mantises inside too. But yeah, cause we've got like, uh, those cucumber, whatever those are called bugs and not inside the greenhouse, but I have seen them around. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I thought that was an interesting approach to the problem. Thanks for another episode of the cannabis book club. Everybody, we hate mites, but we love you and cannabis. Um, be sure to follow us all over the place and a new episode will be up on Spotify and YouTube and all the podcasting places where you listen. Oh boy. I love you, man. I think you know you do that, but oh, <laughs> Y'all are hilarious. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Casey's on one, just as I am today. 
Thank you, everybody. As Casey said, you can listen to our latest episode on the Spotify's, on the tubes of the U's, and wherever you listen to us, Apple Podcast, wherever you're listening to us, leave a review. If you're watching on YouTube, hopefully you got the thumbs up button, you get to subscribe and ding the bell. Oh man, I feel, up, I feel like Philip DeFranco right there. That was cool. All right, kids, really appreciate it. Much love from the Canada Book Club, and we will see you all next week. Take care. Oh, <laughs> baby.